Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And today's guest is Michael Saad. He's senior VP and CIO at the University of Tennessee Medical Center. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you, you have some really interesting insights and perspectives. You're even a, a blogger like me, uh, <laughs> so I think that's fun. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and the University of Tennessee Medical Center. Sure, I'll start with UT Medical Center first. So the University of Tennessee Medical Center is a level one trauma center located in Knoxville, Tennessee, home of the uh, the volunteers, which uh, this, this town is passionate about for sure. Yeah. Anybody who's ever visited Knoxville, Tennessee will tell you that it is, it is a Vols town. Uh, we are uh, just on the outskirts of the most visited national park in the country. And wow. that is the Smoky Mountains uh, National Park has almost 13 million visitors a year uh, that uh, go there now. So we are, again, the only level one trauma center in a 21 county region that covers uh, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and a lot of those vacation destinations a lot of people know about. We're also right at the crossroads of I-75 and I-40, which are two major interstates that cross through our city. So we have a lot of transient um, people that come through the city for either college reasons or for vacations uh, or just traveling through. And so a lot of our patients are patients from this region, but we also, as you would expect, get patients from outside this region as well. Uh, yeah. But we are a three, three hospital system. So our uh, main campus has about 725 beds. We also have a behavioral health hospital and a inpatient uh, rehab hospital that we have okay. here as well. So my background is I'm the senior vice president and CIO I have been here for six years now, as of April 1st. Uh, I got hired in directly as the, the CIO here. Prior to that, spent a few years as a consultant. So I really cut my teeth in healthcare at Henry Ford Health System up in Detroit, Michigan. Spent five years there as the CTO, and then a year and a half as an interim CIO when the CIO who was there left sick and, and unfortunately ended up passing away from his illness. Wow. So uh, after transitioning to a new CIO at, at Henry Ford and helping them find someone and bring them on board, getting them acclimated, I left to go do consulting just to get a better perspective of healthcare across the country. Uh, because my first foray into healthcare was Henry Ford, and I didn't have a lot of exposure beyond Henry Ford. And they're mm -hmm. a fantastic health system. But sure. it's also good to see how other people are doing it and mm -hmm. what are some of the challenges that other people are facing. So as a consultant, I actually had one of my engagements was here at the University of Tennessee Medical Center and was brought on board as a consultant and the CIO left. They called me, asked me to again step in as an interim. And then after a few months, uh, just made the offer and asked if I'd be my family up here. So that's how I ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee, all the way from Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> Quite the change, but I think that's what makes it interesting, right? Your background, you know, is, is unique and interesting how you got there, including not all healthcare. Uh, you know, you, you worked at some Fortune 100 and some startup companies consulting. Uh, so what are some of the perspectives that that background maybe offers you as CIO and, and what can healthcare learn from these other industries? So I, I think healthcare, like any other industry, benefits from other perspectives. So I had a, uh, as you would imagine, coming from Detroit, it seems like everybody there has a automotive tie yeah, or some kind of connection to, auto, to automotive. <laughs> so I worked for a tier one supplier for a while and then worked for General Motors directly in the late okay. 1990s doing Y2K uh, conversion. Wow. At the time, GM owned the Hughes satellite division. And okay. so it was considered a national security issue. Uh -huh. And so the FBI came in and, and uh, we had another, a number of government agencies that came wow. in to, to address that. So the good news is I got to work very closely with those folks, but 
you know, working through that process, um, I think manufacturing has that lean manufacturing mindset, mm. that Kaizen, that continuous process improvement piece. And I think that translates well to healthcare as you look at the projects and, and all the things that we have to focus on as healthcare leaders. I also worked at a company called Omnicom, which is the largest marketing and advertising company in the world. Uh, one of their subsidiaries called BBDO has offices all over the United States and Canada. And um, I think I learned there really how to focus on the customer and how to mm -hmm. interact with the customer using digital platforms, which is all the rage now. Of course, healthcare is all about <laughs> digital and everybody wants to have a chief digital officer title and everything else. But you know, before that was popular in healthcare, advertising and marketing companies were doing that 10, 15, 20 years ago, trying to leverage various platforms to connect with consumers. So also having that background helps kind of lend and uh, give some advantage to now some forward thinking we're doing here in healthcare as to how do we connect with our patients and our and our consumers. Yeah, I know some previous guests, Direct to Ford talks about the lean methodology, the Toyota yes. production style. So that's interesting that you did as well. And Ed Marks talks about, you know, talking to other industries and getting out of our bubble. Uh, yeah, are you still doing that today? I mean, I guess you have some of your past history, some old colleagues you can easily connect with. Uh, you know, do, do you put some focus on that as well to learn from them? For sure. And I think the healthcare industry would do well to, to talk to other industries. And I know that's almost becoming more and more of a trend is to see yeah. even CEOs and others outside of the industry coming in and bringing some of those best practices into healthcare. You know, but I'll say this, healthcare is not easy. As you know, John, you, you do this every day. You talk to yeah. folks all day long. Healthcare is not easy. And I think there may be a misconception outside of healthcare that, oh, we can just buy our way in or we can just you know work with another group or we can do it ourselves. Um, I think a lot of those companies and, and you know the short history is already showing us that companies are struggling, I think, to enter the market and understand. So I think the real answer is a partnership between healthcare organizations and maybe those outside of healthcare whether it's in the tech industry or other industries, bringing those best practices together and working together as an entity. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. A couple episodes ago, I had someone who was previously at Amazon and he talked about that, right? And bringing that, that knowledge and understanding and but also like, how many people from technology get discouraged when they come to healthcare He's like, yes. but just stick it out. You know, all those things that seem totally ridiculous and the insane of why they happen. He's like, there's a reason. <laughs> and then, and you know, but if you stick to it, you can find out the reason and then you can figure out how to overcome it. So I think that's interesting. Well, let's shift gears to, uh, uh, you know, kind of the topic for this that, you know, we'll talk a bit about is, And this is something I think we're all suffering through to some extent. And this is the kind of a the talent shortage in, in healthcare, which I think we were having before COVID. And now mm -hmm. with people resigning, going to industries, et cetera, you know, I think the talent shortage has become even a bigger issue in healthcare IT. What are you doing about that as CIO? So I think the shortage is being felt across all of healthcare. Clearly, the sure. clinical shortage is having an impact on everything, including bottom lines. And I think yeah, that's that's, that's really uh, that is going to drive, I think, a lot of change over the next twelve to twenty-four mm. months as organizations struggle with wage inflation and trying to mm. keep up with with the wage inflation that's happening. But specific to IT, well, I guess if you look at the clinical piece, generally speaking, nurses have certain roles they can play and certain things they can do. In IT, we don't have to work in healthcare, right? I mean, as, as an IT professional, you can work in, and like we just said, automotive, you can work Great in manufacturing, point. you can work in retail, you can work anywhere, anywhere that there's servers and applications and, and project management and cybersecurity, 
um, you can work anywhere. So our challenge is not just the hospital or health system down the road, or maybe across the country, the other side of the state. It's Amazon. It's it's uh, it's the mom and pop restaurant that want to open up, you know, a <laughs> web page for their customers. So yep. it's everybody who wants to get involved in technology. So that makes it, I think, even more challenging than some of the clinical staffing shortages that that's getting so much attention, and for good reason. But I do think the IT staffing shortage is something that, to your point, did start before COVID, and is going to continue, you know, beyond this this current time frame. So there's there's a couple things we can do. I think healthcare has been um, one of the last industries to really embrace this kind of work remote um, whole concept, and that's that's the silver lining, or one of the silver linings that have come out of COVID is now the healthcare industry is really looking and saying, okay, here's an opportunity now since other industries have been doing this forever. I mean, I did this when I was with Omnicom back in the early 2000s. I managed a team in Canada and the US remote. Uh-huh. This is back before Zoom, Teams, any of that stuff existed. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was just normal practice. That was day-to-day practice. <laughs> but, but today that feels like that's kind of cutting edge for healthcare, right? How, how do we get people to work um, across the country together? So I think we need to cast our, our net wider. And, you know, in a city like Knoxville, there's only so much tech talent here in yeah. the city, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same for any city you live in. If you're, if you're pulling from a pool of resources, you're competing with that same pool with all of your local industries. So I think we now we have the real opportunity to cast our net wide and go across the country and say, you know, if we need a, um, a resource that helps us with our EHR development, we can look in Florida, we can look in Georgia, we can look in, um, you know, Pennsylvania or Michigan versus having to just say, we have to look within this geographical region we're in now. So I think that's one of it. And, and the other piece is embracing some of this um, kind of remote work and flexible work schedules that other organizations, again, have been doing for a while because we're competing against those. The reality is we are competing against those other uh, organizations. And so we need to make sure we're at least um, providing that same level of flexibility that people are, are coming to uh, expect from those other organizations. Uh, last thing though, I think healthcare is unique in that we have a certain mission and a set mm-hmm. of values that we have in healthcare that's just not in any other industry. And that's not to belittle other industries. They, they are critical. I mean, there are critical industries that are necessary to keep this country working every day, but healthcare is unique because it's literally people's lives. Yeah. And it's something that all of us are going to have to use at one point in our life. And so I think connecting people to that mission and those values can help set us apart from some of those other industries as well. Yeah, some great points there. And I think it is, it's challenging because we are up against everyone else, you know, to your point, right? Uh, you know, occasionally you see a nurse become a real estate agent, but you know, <laughs> their nursing license isn't being used. And so that, that is a challenge, whereas you're right in technology, it can. Um, how about the gender inequality in tech, right? I mean, I think that's been a challenge and you've written some about it on, on your blog. Uh, what can we do to make sure there's diverse voices in health IT? Yeah, and I think this is a very important topic for a number of reasons. You know, in a lot of organizations, there is a chief diversity officer or a diversity um, office, office of diversity, where there's a number of people that wake up every morning focusing on this important issue. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely critical. But the the challenge we can run into is we can think that's somebody else's problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's that department. They focus on that. Kind of like that's the CFO. They worry about the finances. Yeah, I worry security. About this stuff. Oh, that's the CISO. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. And, and, that, and that's a wrong misconception. As leaders, every one of us have a responsibility to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. And especially as it comes to technology, you know, if you look at the statistics of, of women in tech, 
women make up about half of the workforce. In technology, they're about 26% of the workforce. They're also leaving at a much more rapid pace than men are. And that was before COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And if you read any study right now about COVID, women have been disproportionately impacted by COVID because yep. they're the ones that are teaching the kids at home. They're the ones that are getting things ready, taking care of the house. Um, and so really they've been disproportionately impacted, which going back to our previous conversation about remote work, I, I think remote work is also a DEI piece. And there's a component there, which mm. allows the women that need to be at home to take care of the family, to continue to do so and work and provide them a flexible schedule. So I think there's also a component there, but you know, there's a number of things that we can do and should do as leaders to help promote women in the workplace, especially in IT. Uh, number one, I think going into the schools, I think that's very important. And we're actively doing that here, going into the high schools, partnering with the colleges and universities to try to promote women and to show them that there are, you don't just have to be the person that's, you know, eating cold pizza and drinking Mountain Dew in a dark room. You know, that, that stigma of what IT used to be. Uh-huh. There are many other roles. There's cybersecurity, there's project management. And by the way, if you want to eat cold pizza and drink Mountain Dew, you can certainly do that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that, that's also available to you. Uh, but another thing is we partner with other organizations. Um, you know, Chime has uh, a diversity arm that they are very focused on. Girls Who Code, you know, those type of organizations who are focused. Um, so that is another piece as well. I think the other piece is establishing and very, being very intentional about mentoring. You know, women need mentors. Men do as well. But women need mentors who can mentor them in the career field. And that's something we've actually established a mentoring program right within our department that has helped uh, pool and put together and connect women and men in different roles and help them understand, here's the current role you're doing and here's something someone else is doing, maybe of interest to you, here's how you grow into that role. And then the last thing is leaders, we have to create an environment where there's equity and we create opportunity for everybody. And that equity can be everything from pay. You know, As a CIO, once a year I sit down with HR and I look at the roster of all my employees mm-hmm. and I make sure that we do not have men that are in the same roles being paid more than women in the same role. That, that's an equity thing. And that, that's, to me, that's just basic blocking and tapping. I'm, I'm not doing anything special there by doing that. That's just basic equity. But also it's important to look at opportunities that arise, making sure that we have everyone at the table, given their voice, everyone's voices is equal with each other. Um, and that we have opportunities available for everyone who's around the table and not just select you individuals. I think you just sent a good recruiting message to all the women in health IT out there that they want to come work for you. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I think you're that. right. right? <laughs> like, I mean, but I think it is the challenge, right? I mean, even with this CIO mm-hmm. podcast, uh, you know, I want to have as many women as I can on here and the numbers are against me, right? Like, uh, you right. know, as far as how many are out there and then, you know, the women that are out there get a lot of requests. And so they mm-hmm. often say no to it because they don't get as many, you know, because they're getting too many requests, <laughs> you know, and they got to do their job. So it makes sense, uh, you know, but, you know, I'm always open to try to give them, like you said, more of a platform to be seen so that then, you know, maybe they're, you know, a director of IT, how do they become CIO? In some cases, it's being seen and being known mm-hmm. and known that they have skills. So I think that's awesome. Uh, kind of moving beyond workforce challenges, what's your biggest challenge today and, and, and what are you uh, working to do to address it? So workforce channel, we talked about the IT shortage. Uh, clearly, the clinical shortage is, is, a, mm-hmm. is a significant issue. And again, that's, that's creating challenges to the bottom line. And I think that's something we're going to see over the next little while. I, I think the, you know, kind of the, the close second and something I'm sure you're hearing from most of your guests is just cybersecurity. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be a lot of things. And I know that's not really sexy to talk about sometimes as all oh, that's cybersecurity. But the reality is we are impacted on a daily basis by that. Uh, yeah. If you look at the recent Kronos outage, that impacted us. We Crazy. were a Kronos customer. You know, it was it was in the cloud. We were down for 40 days. So for 40 days, we did not have a timekeeping solution. We had to quickly come together, develop an in-house timekeeping solution and make sure that all of our employees were paid. Our HR department did a phenomenal job making sure that our HR, uh, that our employees were taken care of and paid appropriately. But that type of stuff, it's not even just kind of our own cybersecurity yeah. posture, which clearly is a full-time job for a number of folks. Um, and like we talked about with DE&I, you know, cybersecurity is a role that all of us have a responsibility to play, not just the folks, not just the CISO and others. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's an important thing. You know, we had another vendor, I don't want to name who that is because I don't think it's public yet, but uh, who had a ransomware attack and we've not been able to do surgical billing now for five days because wow. we have a, a relationship with them. They've been completely down. They're rebuilding their system. So uh, I'm not only concerned about our systems and our internal integrity of our systems, but now you have to worry about the vendors and the people you partner with. And do you have a fail-safe plan? Do I have a backup plan, a business continuity plan? Should that system fail? Um, and so that's, that's creating a lot of consternation. I think a lot of uh, conversation around what do we really want to do from a business continuity perspective and can we rely on them or do we need to come up with almost a secondary system to build ourselves to have just in case, you know, those systems do come down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's interesting. You say cybersecurity is not sexy and you're right. It, it's not until you get breached and then you're like, wait, no, right. <laughs> yeah. that was what I should have focused my time on. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but again, you know, it's, it's, unfortunately it's one of those projects that you're like, if I'm extremely successful, you'll never hear from me. And the CEO is like, wait, that's incongruent with what most projects are. So I, I think that's a challenge. Uh, but to your point, I, I, you know, I, I, there was a CIO I was talking to who left a, a major CIO position at a major hospital system. And he said, I left because I didn't want the 1 a.m. wake up call that the system's down, that the whatever, you know, whatever challenge it was, and it was just stressing out his life. And uh, I think, you know, it's not why CIO position is so challenging. I mean, we kind of described it you have to think about the CFO, you have to think about the CISO, you have to think about diversity, equity, inclusion, you have to think mm-hmm. about your employees. I mean, that's a lot on your plate. There is absolutely, and it continues to morph and transform and, and nothing's being taken off the plate. There's just more added, right? Mm-hmm. So now you talk about the digital front door and all these other things that yeah. are, are the new buzz and, and most of that falls again to the CIO to determine the strategy and some implementation for that. So uh, I think as healthcare continues to change and transform, the good news is technology is leading that transformation. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate news or the challenge is that continues to fall on the shoulders of the CIO. So, um, but I think we've got some really good leaders out there in the industry. John, you you talked to many of them. I've, I've listened to the podcast. Um, you know, we've got some really good leaders out there that are helping to drive change across the industry. And um, I'm happy to be one of the folks that are that are here, you know, being that, that leader here at, at University of Tennessee Medical Center. But, um, you know, it certainly is a changing role. And I think you're, you're spot on. Yeah. And it's a tremendous opportunity too. Uh, I think that's the other side. So, you know, I mentioned that you have a blog. Everyone should go check it out. CIOreflections.com. You've published a lot of great content. Uh, why did you decide to start blogging? Thank you. Well, good question. Yeah. It, it's something I just, I felt like I needed a creative outlet. You know, we mm-hmm. talk about all the kind of day-to-day operational things that, that we do as CIOs. And then there's an opportunity to do some strategic work, which I really enjoy as well. So there's that that kind of push and pull, sure. um, but really I don't have a creative outlet. There's nothing I can do that kind of, um, 
you know, write down and put thoughts down the paper and kind of send that out. So to me, it was a way just to have a creative outlet and then lend my voice to the conversation. You know, there's a lot of conversation happening out there today, but some of it is how do you get involved in that conversation? And I found that writing is a good way to do that because you can do that on your own time. You can do that when your schedule permits uh, versus having to try to schedule things and, and you know, fit them in within the calendar. Um, and it, it has been, it's been very well received. I've got a lot of positive feedback from a lot of the things I've written and uh, it's given me a good opportunity to, to engage in some of those discussions that maybe I would not have been able to be part of had I not done that. Yeah, that's great. I think it is. I mean, it's, it's a great way to share your knowledge. I think it's beautiful. You know, even your staff probably see it and gives yeah. them messages, which I think is powerful. Mm-hmm. I was hearing someone say that, uh, you know, I think it was this guy who's written a lot and his kid was like, dad, writing's so much harder. And he's like, you're right. Because if you write it, you have to un- understand it. And so yeah. I think there's a power there too, right? Absolutely. Yep. And it's amazing how much research, you know this, John, you're a prolific and very successful writer how much research goes into writing, right? So it's, it's not like I'm just sitting down and just writing out all these articles off the top of my head. There are times I have to go look up, okay, what are the facts around this? What are the mm-hmm. statistics? What are the percentages? Just to kind of build that foundation. And so I learned so much. I, I enjoy just from a research perspective, going yeah. out and pulling articles and, and reading things. So, but you're right. I mean, and there's something, uh, there's like a finality about it too. Once it's in writing, it's there. You know, a <laughs> statement, you can kind of roll back a little bit or whatever, right? Or if it's just you and I talking, it's just you and I talking, but once you publish it out there for the whole world to see, there's, there's almost like a finality there. Like, okay, that's, those are, those are my words uh, and everybody can see them. Now that for sure. uh, Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if you look at my articles from a decade ago, will that come back to bite me? (laughs) (laughs) I think I've published enough that uh, there's something out there. If someone wants to find it. Sure. So we always like to wrap up with some kind of career, you know, perspective and advice. So, uh, you know, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever been given? So this one I struggle with because I, I can't think of a single piece of advice that I've been given or, or a phrase or a sentence that's uh-huh. something that's just kind of built. Um, what I can tell you is, is mentors in general. And there's a couple mm-hmm. that I can think of right now. Um, there are several mentors that have helped me get where I'm at today. And I think the best piece of advice I can give someone is go find someone that you think is successful, that you look up to, that you want to um, be like, and go ask that person if they will mentor you. Or, or even, even if it's not a formal mentoring process, mm-hmm. spend time with that person. Spend time watching that person. Watch the decisions they make. Watch how they act. Watch how they present themselves in meetings. Watch how they act in private because there's, there's a public face. And then there's a private face, which frankly is more important, how people act in private and in their office and behind closed doors in many ways tells you much more about their integrity than how they act out in public. So I think, you know, take an opportunity to find a mentor, whether that's formally or informally, and study that person and study what they do well and study some of their mistakes because we all make mistakes. I'm, I'm making mistakes every single day and I tell my staff, watch me, right? What, and, I'll, and I'm very open. These are the mistakes I made. Here's what I should have done different. Here's the information I should have asked for and didn't or whatever the case is. So um, I think the best advice uh, that I can give others is not necessarily a a line or a piece of advice I have. It's go out and find that mentor, find someone that you look up to and and learn from that person and understand why they do what they do. It's interesting you focus so much on the learning and watching them because so many times when I hear people talk about mentors, it's about relationships and connections and, and opening doors. But, I, you know, seeing it and modeling it, I think, is a powerful message. Yes. And everybody learns from different styles. I learn from watching and doing, right? I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. kinesthetic type of learner. So I learn from doing. I also learn from watching other behaviors. 
And there's things you can learn from other people that, oh, that's interesting. You said it this way, or you decided yeah. to make that. And then, and then after the fact, though, go back and ask why. So mm -hmm. you mentioned this, why did you say this? Or you made this decision? Or why did you do that? And to find yeah. out the why is so educational to understand, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know you had that piece of information. I wasn't aware of that. So mm -hmm. I think just kind of learn and educate yourself. And then, as you said, they do open up doors. Yeah, they do open up doors for you. And I think sure. that's absolutely important too. Yeah. Maybe even why they didn't say something. Right? <laughs> you're like, I think I know better than them. And you're like, oh, wait, no, maybe I still have a lot to learn. That's awesome. Exactly. Well, Michael, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you sharing all these insights and perspectives. Uh, you know, I, I, you have uh, some great perspectives. Everyone should go check out CIOreflections.com. Be sure to subscribe there and get all your latest updates and, and appreciate you being on the CIO podcast. Thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find all the rest of the episodes in the CIO podcast series, you can check them out at healthcareittoday.com or search for the CIO podcast by Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks everyone. And thanks, Michael. Thank you, John. I appreciate having me here today.